This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. It's a privilege to be here with you guys and to, to just share from God's word with you. Um, I, when I was praying about what, what God wants me to share about, I really felt, felt strongly I should share two different messages. So in the first service, I actually shared about Galatians 1, verse 1 to 8, about distorting the true gospel. And I'm going to share now from Galatians 3, verse 1 to 6, about experiencing the true gospel. So, um, you know, in a sense, what I'm going to share now builds on what I shared in the previous service. So if you have time, uh, please go and listen to the podcast or, you know, watch the, the YouTube video uh, or whatever it is. I'm, I'm sure you'll, it'll bless you. Um, and yeah, what, what, what God really laid on my heart is he said, you know, my, my bread is, um, is what feeds my people. And all I have to do is break open the bread of the Lord. And when they, when they smell spiritually that freshly broken bread, they will, they, they, they will, um, have a hunger for it and they will eat it and they, they will be, be satisfied by it. And, um, yeah, so I, I'm very excited about what I want to share with you um, this morning. I, I think it, I think it'll really bless you. But I, I must start off by giving you a few uh, warnings, as I did in the previous service. The first warning is I'm 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 not Andre, and I'm not as dynamic a leader and communicator as Andre. Is Andre is that you know, let's go, man. You know, he's, he's the encourager, he's the exhorter, he's, he's he's very dynamic. He always has been. I mean, he says we were roomies. And I was always the quiet, introverted one, and he was the one who, who was like the go-getter, and he, he was the one going for like chairperson of the SRC and all that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> he, he was that guy. I was never that guy. <laughs> um, so, so I'm, I'm not. My style is a bit different from Andre's, um, uh, but but I know you guys know how to receive someone for who they are and, and receive the blessing from them. So. Um, then the other thing is, I just want to warn you that I, I'm, I don't want to just give you a message. I also want to give you a method. Um, you know, when I do, when I teach the guys in the MTP, the ministry training program, uh, you know, the sort of up and coming pastors and so on, uh, you know, I do the session on, on how to preach and, and, and share, share those, um, stuff with them. And, and I always tell them that whenever you preach, you, you're not just giving people a message, you're also giving them a method. Because implicit in the message that you give is the method by which you arrived at that message, at that message. In other words, good preaching doesn't only teach you what to believe, but how to read scripture for yourself so that you can discover for yourself what to believe. Does that make sense? So, so be warned, don't just get a message from me this morning. <laughs> if, if you only get a message from me, you failed and I failed. You know, I really want you to get a method. I want you to, 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 um, be inspired to read scripture for yourself. Um, you know, <clears throat> I didn't look up the scripture now, but in, in, in the book of, of Hebrews, um, a few different times, I think one of the times is in chapter three, um, the writer to the Hebrews writes the following. He says, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes scripture from the Old Testament. He doesn't, he doesn't say as it is written. I mean, that, that would be accurate. 
in, in other places in scripture, it says, as it is written, and then he quotes the Old Testament. He says, as the Holy Spirit says. But notice he doesn't say, as the Holy Spirit said, past tense. He literally says, as the Holy Spirit says, present tense. So according to the writer to the Hebrews, whenever you read scripture, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through scripture now. Scripture is still the main way in which the Holy Spirit speaks today. As it was when the writer of, of, of the Hebrews wrote um, the book of Hebrews. Um, and God wants to speak to us and, and we need to learn to, to read scripture well if we want to hear what the Holy Spirit says. He's saying to us, you know, um, I always ask Christians, um, who are you going to be reading the Bible for the rest of your life? Put up your hands if you're going to be reading the Bible for the rest of your life. Or some of you at least. <laughs> That's good. Well, if you really are a Christian, then obviously you're going to be reading the Bible for the rest of your life. And, and here's the question. Something that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life, you might as well learn to do it well, right? We're all reading the Bible already, but we can all read the Bible better. Now, it's, it's like, um, I, was, I used to play tennis. I asked Andre this morning for a tennis racket, you know, where they have a tennis racket. Um, I used to play tennis at school, uh, you know, quite, quite a lot. It was like the main, in high school, it was like the main sport that I did. Um, so I played tennis every day. Uh, and then, you know, for eight hours on Saturday. In the morning, you know, I had, we had a squat practice. And then in the afternoon, I'd go to a tennis club and, and play. And, and, you know, there are obviously lots of older people at the tennis club who would play tennis. And, and I think in every tennis club in the world, there's some other old lady who plays an upside-down backhand. Do you know what an upside-down backhand is? Anyone know, you know what an upside-down backhand is? Now, now, it's like this. If you, um, you know, when you play your forehand, you, you grip the – the racket like this, and then you play your forehand. Uh, and most people learn the forehand first because it's the easier shot to play than the backhand. Okay? Um, but then these ladies learn the forehand, but then when you when you want to you, – you cannot play the backhand, the single backhand with the same grip because your, your wrist is not strong enough. It's not the right position. You cannot hit the ball like that. Your your wrist isn't strong enough. So you have, if you want to play a, a single backhand, you have to move your grip across to the other side so that you can play – a proper backhand like that. Now, these ladies learned the forehand, but then no one taught them that you have to change your grip to the backhand. And now they can't play the backhand like this. It just doesn't work, the single backhand. So they turn the racket around and they play an upside-down backhand. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's, it's, it's quite a thing to behold, you know. And, and some of these, these ladies, because, in other words, they, they just didn't learn the right technique, you know. So they're playing the backhand. They didn't learn the right technique, and now they have to play this upside down backhand with the wrong technique and some of these old ladies have been playing an upside down backhand for decades and and they can play an upside down backhand pretty much as good as you uh, upside down backhand can be played but the problem is if you play a backhand with the wrong technique you, you're never going to have a backhand like Roger Federer you know it's it, your technique will always limit you now it's the same when you're reading the bible so many of us we've learned the wrong technique or no one no one bothered to teach us the right technique of just reading the Bible well. So metaphorically speaking, we're reading the Bible with an upside-down backhand. And your technique of how you read the Bible is limiting you and limiting how well you can read the Bible and therefore limiting how well you can hear the Holy Spirit speaking through the Bible to you. So what I want to encourage you is make that... You are going to be reading. If you're a Christian, you are going to be reading the Bible for the rest of your life. And the quality of your Christian life 
is directly proportional to how well, how, how well you live the Christian life depends on how well you read the Bible and obey it. So the better you can read the Bible and understand it, the better you can obey it and the better you can live the Christian life. It's, 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 it's one of the best investments you can make. So that's why I say I want you to not just get a message, but I also want you to get a method. Okay. Um, and then the, the, the third thing I just want to um, warn you about is um, I want to warn you about Paul. I'm going to read from the book of Galatians. And, and Paul can sometimes tell us things that we don't like to hear. Right? Anyone discovered that? You know, he, he's, he's, he can be a bit difficult like that sometimes, you know. He doesn't tell you what you want to hear. He tells you what you need to hear. And sometimes he tells you stuff that you, that you actually do, really don't want to hear. And, and, he, and he sometimes messes with your theology and he, and he, and he, and he, and he sort of messes up, you know, uh, disrupts your life. Now, Paul is like that. So I just want to <clears throat> beforehand, you know, apologize for my friend Paul. You know, if he offends you or if he messes with, with your head or so through what he says, you know, he is in, you know, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you know, so, you know, <laughs> receive what he has to say. But um, don't be surprised if he surprises you a bit. Okay, so let's, let's read from Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to about 6. I'm reading from the ESV, and it says, Oh, foolish Galatians. I mean, Paul is, 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 is very blunt. <laughs> How often does Andre say to you, Oh, foolish East Londoners? <laughs> He's not quite as blunt as Paul. Okay, you, you'll get there, brother. <laughs> but but he, he might as well say, Oh, foolish Joe Burgers or, or foolish East Londoners, you know. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, literally in the Spirit, um, rather than by the Spirit, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed... It was in vain. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Yes, Lord, we just want to thank you for your word and thank you, Holy Spirit, that you who inspired the word and oversaw it and, and, and moved holy men of God to, to write the scriptures. Thank you that you, the same Holy Spirit, are here with us this morning. And thank you, Lord, that the same Christianity that Paul converted to, the same gospel that Paul believed, the same spirit that Paul received is available to us. Lord, and and we just pray, Lord, that we will not fall for the temptation to water down Christianity, to suit our modern times, but that we'll embrace Christianity as it truly is and as you, Holy Spirit, through your Apostle Paul, reveal it to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. In 
verse 4, it's a bit hidden in this translation. I think if you read the NIV, the NIV actually, strangely enough, translates verse 4 slightly better than, than the ESV in this case. Um, Paul says, he talks about, you know, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He talks about asking them a question. Did you receive the spirit by works of law, by hearing with faith? Uh, and then he says, did you suffer so many things in vain? The, the word suffer there, you, you can have two meanings. It can have two meanings. Um, the one meaning is suffer, like it's translated here. The other meaning is experience. Okay. Now, what is Paul, what is Paul talking about here? He is, he's talking to a, um, a group of Galatians. Now, this morning I, I read um, the intro where Paul says, you know, Paul an apostle, you know, and, and all the brothers with me, to the churches, plural, of Galatia. So Galatians is, is the only letter, I think, that Paul wrote to multiple churches, not just to one church. So his other letters are all written to the church of Rome or to the church in Corinth or, you know, to the church in Colossae or whatever. Uh, but this one is written to the churches, plural, in the Roman province of Galatia. So it's a very general letter addressing a very general problem of people who want to come and distort the gospel and distort Christianity in the churches that Paul planted there. So what he's saying here is not specific to the context of a, of one church. This is general truth for all of Christianity. Okay. Um, and these so-called Judaizers, they Jewish Christians, they, they were coming into the churches that Paul planted in, in this province, this Roman province in Galatia, and they were trying to tell the converts there. Most of them were Gentiles, obviously, you know, uh, non-Jews. But some of them, there would have been a, a small handful, a small minority who would have been Jews as well. But most of them were, were Gentiles. And, 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 and therefore, therefore, they weren't circumcised. And, and, and these Judaizers were saying to to, to these churches, listen, you know, this Paul is a nice guy. We like him and all of that. But, you know, the gospel he preaches is not the whole gospel. It's not the full gospel. There's something he's missing. What needs to happen is, you know, everything that Paul says about Jesus is all good and well. But you, you have to add to that good works, law-keeping, like being circumcised. And, uh, you know, in, in, in chapter 2, um, Paul talks about how he confronts Peter because Peter was eating at the Gentile non-kosher table. And then when these Jewish Christians come from Jerusalem from, from, well, claiming to be from James, the, the, the half brother of Jesus, uh, they, they, they start a kosher table where they don't eat pork and they don't eat non-kosher stuff. And, and then Paul, uh, Peter says, uh, you know, he sort of moves from the non-kosher table to the kosher table. And, and even Barnabas and them go with him and, and, and then, Paul gets upset about this because not only were these Judaizers trying to force the Gentiles and basically say to them, Paul didn't preach the full gospel to you. You must add law keeping. You must add, um, you, you must add good works. You must add stuff like circumcision and kosher food laws and so on in order to Truly be saved. No, it's you Gentiles are not truly saved. And, and Peter was actually condoning that and affirming that by saying, well, I made the concession of eating with you Gentiles at the non-kosher table. But now that the Jewish Christians are here, I'm going to sit at the kosher table because actually that's a real Christianity. And Paul got very upset about this and he confronted Peter publicly about it. So 
that, that is, that is the context here. And Paul is saying to them, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? You're falling for a different gospel. So the reality is, and he's, like I say, he's writing this to multiple churches. We, we should not be so foolish as to think that we are unable to be as foolish as the Galatians. We are also in danger of falling for the same deception. We are also, like the churches in Galatia, in danger of people deceiving us into adding to the gospel. You see, you can, you can distort the gospel in two ways, either by diluting it, by taking stuff out of it that belong there, or by polluting it, by adding things that don't belong. And, 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 and these guys were trying to pollute the gospel. They were distorting it by polluting it, by adding to it, by, by adding good works. And I, and I shared about that in the previous service. Good works are not bad. Paul is not against good works. He's very much for good works, but in their place. The good works are not part of the gospel. They are consequence of the gospel. The gospel inevitably leads to good works. But when you take the inevitable consequences of a gospel and you make them part of the gospel, you distort the gospel so it becomes a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Now, what Paul is basically saying here, and I'm, I'm going to try and sort of sum it up in three ways. He's saying that Christianity, Pauline Christianity, is an experience. So he's appealing to the experience. When he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of law, by believing what you heard? What is he doing? He's pointing them back to their conversion experience, having begun in the Spirit. It was the, the, he's pointing to the experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. Listen, the experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. And he's asking them, to remember that. In other words, he's assuming that it's an experience that they will know of if it happened to them. Okay? So he's appealing to the experience. And that's why in verse 4, he's, he's not saying, did you suffer so many things for nothing? He's saying, did you experience so many things for nothing? He's talking about the experience. That's what he's talking about. Okay? Did you experience so many things for nothing? The, the ESV, the, the translation there could be better. Now, here's the point Paul is making. Um, three things. He's saying that true Christianity, Pauline Christianity, is a gospel experience, it's a spirit experience, and it's a communal, continual communal experience. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll unpack those things. L- let me summarize it even more. What Paul is saying here is... You can have spiritual experiences without the true gospel. But you cannot have the true gospel without spiritual experiences. Let me say that again. He's saying you can have spiritual experience without the true gospel. But you cannot have the true gospel without spiritual experiences. Receiving the true gospel inevitably leads to to, to spiritual experience. In other words, Paul is saying that Christianity is irreducibly an experience of the spirit. Okay. So let's, let's just unpack that a bit. He's saying it's a gospel experience, it's a spirit experience and a communal, continual communal experience. It's a gospel experience. In, in the first verses, he says, um, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. 
So when he says with bewitched you, he uses an interesting word. Um, it means bewitched in, on the one hand, but on the other hand, it also means to more specifically to, to an evil influence through the eyes or, or an evil influence to, to give people evil eyes. Okay? Um, so he's saying, and then he's contrasting that, you know, giving people evil eyes with before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly or graphically portrayed as crucified. So what is he saying here? He's, what he's saying, if you think about the context, he's talking to mostly Gentile Christians who weren't in Israel when Jesus walked the earth physically, right? They weren't in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. Most of them probably had never been to Jerusalem. Many of them maybe didn't even know about Jerusalem. And yet, he says to these gent, mostly Gentile Christians, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly and graphically portrayed as crucified. So much so that it's, that it's as though you saw it with your own eyes. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen guys, you know that when I preach the gospel to you, I portrayed the truth of the gospel, the content of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life that we could, should have lived, but could not. And that he died the innocent death that we should have died because of our sins. He died in our place. He was crucified in our place. He, he starts off the letter by saying that Christ died for or on behalf of our sins. So he's saying that and he's saying, I preached that gospel to you so vividly that it's as though you saw Jesus being crucified with your own eyes and where evil spirits want to come in and give you an evil eye bewitch you so that you cannot see what God has done for you in Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit does the opposite he opens your eyes to such an extent that when the gospel is preached to you it's as though you saw Jesus being crucified even though you weren't physically there. He makes it a spiritual reality to you. And isn't that what happens when you really hear the gospel preached and experience that truth in the power of the Holy Spirit? So so he's talking about Christianity. He's saying true Christianity is always, always, a gospel experience. You cannot have true Christianity without the gospel. And, and Jesus' crucifixion is at the center of the gospel. It's at the heart of the gospel. The fact that the only one who didn't deserve to die because he had no sin died for those who very much deserved to die because they were full of sin. I love the way I said in the previous service as well. I love the way that John Stott says it in his book, uh, The Cross of Christ. He says, the essence of sin is man taking the place of God. And the essence of salvation is God taking the place of man. What he's saying is, we sin when, you know, like Adam and Eve, you know, we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're saying, God, I'm not going to trust you to reveal to me what's good and evil, what's right and wrong. I want to decide for myself. I want to be God in my own life. I want to decide for myself what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. And I want to decide for myself how to live my life. I'm I'm not going to trust in you. I'm going to take your place. The essence of sin is man taking the place of God. But then the essence of salvation is God coming and taking the place of man. Jesus on the cross 
experienced what we deserved so that we can experience what Jesus deserved. You see, Jesus is the only one who ever lived the perfect life that perfectly deserved all of God's blessing, all of God's favor, all of God's love. He's the only one who deserved all of that. No one else. But God treated him the way we deserve to be treated so that he could treat us the way that Jesus deserved to be treated. That's the gospel. That's what it means that Jesus was crucified for us. So do you see that? The way that Paul helped the Galatians to see that. Okay? That's what Christianity is. It's a gospel experience. Not just intellectually hearing the gospel. Because later on he talks with, did you receive the spirit by works of law? By hearing with faith. So, so um, what he's saying is in order to see Jesus publicly, graphically portrayed as crucified, you have to do it, number one, by the spirit, but also by faith. It's only by faith that you can see. You don't have to be physically there because the Galatians also weren't physically there. They didn't see it with their, with, 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 in that sense with their physical eyes, but through faith they saw Jesus publicly and graphically portrayed as crucified. Now faith is not just agreeing with the truth. It's not just saying, yes, I acknowledge that historically at some other stage there was a man named Jesus, the Messiah, who died on a cross and supposedly rose again. That's just mental assent. That's just intellectual agreement with the truth. That's not faith. True faith says, I believe this is not just true, but that it's true for me. That he died on the cross for me in my place. He got what I deserve so that I could get what he deserves. Okay, true Christianity, according to Paul, is a gospel experience. But then he goes on and he says, these, these Judaizers are saying to you, you're not, you're not proper Christians. You're sort of almost there. You're sort of halfway there. To being Christians, but, but in order to get all the way there, you must believe like the full gospel, the, the, the true gospel, the full gospel, which, which is that you must also keep the law and get circumcised and so on. Because, I mean, Abraham got circumcised. Moses got circumcised. David got circumcised. Ezra and Nehemiah got circumcised. Jesus was circumcised. All his apostles were circumcised. What makes you think that you're exempt? And it's a good question, right? It's a good question. If everyone up to that stage who was part of the people of God were circumcised, it's a, it's a pretty good question. Now, Paul's answer to that is, is a question. And here is where Paul starts to mess with our theology and with modern Christianity. Because he asks one question to determine whether they... to to, to help them see whether they are true Christians, whether they are, they are genuinely saved and genuinely Christians or not. And it's not the question that most modern Christians would ask if, if they had to test if someone was a Christian. What is the question that we typically ask to try and determine whether someone is a Christian? Have you believed the gospel? Hmm? We ask them about their faith. Have you really believed the gospel? That's not Paul's question. <laughs> You see, the problem with our question is it doesn't distinguish between true faith and false faith. The Bible often talks about false faith. 
Okay? Quite a few times. I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail and try and show it to you in Scripture, but you know, like in, in John 8 and so on, it talks about people who believe in Jesus, but then when you look in the context, clearly they don't believe in Jesus because they want to kill him. <laughs> you know? So our modern Christians, Christianity's question, because the assumption is if we believe what you, we tell you, then you're a true Christian. But Paul says, hang on, you mustn't just confess with your mouth, but you must believe in your heart. When someone says that they believe, you've only tested the confession of the mouth. But how do you test for faith in the heart? And here's Paul's answer, very simple answer. True faith in the heart receives the Holy Spirit. That's the difference between true faith and false faith, mental assent. Just agreeing with the truth, but not really believing in your heart. Because you can confess with your mouth without believing in your heart, right? And there are many Christians who do. I mean, in South Africa, you know, according to the census statistics, South Africa claims to be almost 80% Christian. Yet there's probably, I don't know, 20, 30% of these 80% Christians who are sitting in church on a Sunday morning. Where are the rest? Many of them would say, I'm a Christian, but they never go to church except maybe on Easter and, and, and Christmas. Okay? So, so, here's the thing. Paul asked them this question. He says, not did you believe what I preached, but did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of law or by hearing what I preached, the gospel, with faith? Did you receive that? In, in Acts chapter 19, he asks it this way. It's the same question. He asks it. He says, says to these, there's a bunch of disciples of John the Baptist. And he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? This is actually the same question he asked the Galatians here in Galatians 3. Now, I want you to think about this. Just really switch on your brain and uh, think about it. You guys are intelligent people. I know that. You, if you can read the Bible, then you can understand this. But, but just think about the implications of this. Think about this. Paul is not arguing for the experience of the Holy Spirit. He's actually arguing from the experience of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, he's assuming that the reception of the Holy Spirit, not at conversion, but as conversion, Because he says, having begun in the Spirit. In other words, your reception of the Holy Spirit was the beginning of your Christian walk. And that reception of the Holy Spirit was an experience that I can ask you about, that I can remind you of, that I can take you back and say to you, well, yes, you haven't been physically circumcised. That's true. But did that prevent you from receiving the Holy Spirit when you put your trust in Jesus through the gospel that was preached to you. And if the Holy Spirit was happy to come and live inside of you when you put your faith in Jesus and in the gospel, isn't that enough? Because that's what a Christian is. The closest Paul comes to defining a Christian is someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. The, 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 The Holy Spirit... Listen to me. The Holy Spirit is not a nice extra to Christianity. The Holy Spirit is essential to Christianity. 
The closest Paul comes to, to defining a Christian is in Romans 8 verse 13 where he says, if someone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. The one thing without which you cannot be a Christian is the Holy Spirit. And he's, here's, here's the thing that, that messes with us. I mean, I, I was... Um, sort of born and raised in the Dutch Reformed Church, you know, sort of in the Dutch Reformed tradition. And I know Dutch Reformed churches vary, you know, quite widely. And, and you get some at, at a pastor summit. Um, we had uh, Domini Dirk van Espey, who, who was the Domini at uh, Morleta Park Dutch Reformed Church for many years. Um, and, and I know he preached the Holy Spirit, you know, God, the Holy Spirit. He experienced the Holy Spirit and preached the Holy Spirit. But most Dutch Reformed churches were not like that. Certainly the one, the ones that I attended weren't like that. I, I, I can't remember actually ever hearing about the Holy Spirit while I was in the Dutch Reformed Church. Okay? So the whole thing of Christianity being an experience wasn't even on my radar. Okay? I, 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 I remember, um, going on a, when I got saved, I went on a youth camp, um, we called it a Kaya Arkad Arkti camp. And, the, 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 the youth pastor, the youth domini was sharing about having a healthy relationship with God. And I remember sitting there and, and, and experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, and if you want, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something like, if you want Jesus to come into your life, you know, just close your eyes and pray and, and invite Jesus into your life and, and respond to the gospel. And all of a sudden a light went on in my head because I'd never heard the altar call in my life while I was in the Dutch Reformed Church. You just, in the, in the churches I attended, it just wasn't a done thing. I'd never heard of it. But all of a sudden, when he gave that invitation, it made sense to me. And I realized, but duh, obviously, you've got to respond to the gospel. You've got to put your trust in Jesus. And I, and I remember praying there just by myself and, and saying, I don't know what, but probably something like, Lord Jesus, forgive me for sinning against you. Please come into my heart or something, whatever the case may be. And experiencing God's presence because that day, the 11th of August, 1989 was my birthday. And I was actually feeling a bit bad because my brothers who were with me on the camp and my friends who were with me on the camp had all forgotten my birthday. But I always say God was the one who didn't forget. And he gave me the best present ever. He gave me eternal life. And, and I experienced a change in my life, a change, a, a, a definite Change in my life. And, and I got, a, I was telling Andre yesterday, I had a, all of a sudden I had a hunger for the Holy Spirit, uh, for, for the Word of God, to read the Word of God. Um, I remember, you know, after that, you know, um, sitting in my room and, and actually reading the Bible and then falling asleep with my face like in the Bible and then my mom knocking at the door, you know, Eddie, why is your light still on? You know, you should be sleeping tomorrow is school. Um, Here's the thing. I, I wanted to bring it this, there's this thick book, um, by a guy called Gordon Fee, who's, you know, one of my favorite theologians. He's sort of the guy who put Pentecostal charismatic theology on the map, one of the best commentary writers in the world. Um, and he took all the letters of Paul and every single verse that talks about the Holy Spirit, he exegeted it in depth. He's, he sort of interpreted it in 600 pages. And then in the last 300 pages of this book, he sort of put it all together. He said, okay, well, having interpreted in 600 pages everything that Paul has to say about the Spirit. Now, he, 
he took Holy Spirit. Anytime the word pneuma appeared or was implied, you know, um, he took that word and he interpreted it. And then in the last 300 pages, he put it together and said, this is what Paul, this is Paul's theology of the Holy Spirit. And, and he said something very interesting. He said he's done much theological study of very strong theologians, you know, who've written theologies of Paul the Apostle. And then it's like a five, six, seven hundred page book that has maybe two or three pages about the Holy Spirit. And he says, he thinks to himself, have these guys even read Paul's letters? <laughs> when Paul has so much to say about the Holy Spirit and they give two or three pages to it. But it just shows you they weren't seeing what Paul was saying about the Holy Spirit. But, but here's the thing. He says, and this is, this is profound but also a bit shocking. He says, if Paul were to walk in med, into many modern churches today, he would not even recognize them as Christian. Because to Paul, church and Christianity was fundamentally and irreducibly an experience of the Holy Spirit. And now... I was sharing with Andre as well that, um, you know, when I got, went to high school, I was in a, I had a group of friends who were Christians and, and we used to do small group. I mean, all Dutch reform, you know, Afrikaner boykies, you know, very stereotypical Afrikaner boys. I was in a boys school and, um, we used to do small group before we even knew what small group was. So at second break, we'd get together and just pray together and just minister to each other and encourage each other and so on. Um, and then one of our friends, um, one of that group was a guy called Baron Westhuizen, and and his brother, who was about two three years older than us, Hans was a a real bad boy. He was a he played the saxophone, and he had long hair, and and he was a bit of a rebel. He smoked all that kind of stuff. So he went to Stellenbosch and then got saved in Shofar. and and he started sending cassette tapes. Anyone still remember cassette tapes? Some some of you young people are like what's that? You know, ask your mom at home. Um, Cassette tapes, you know, with, with, with sermons and stuff from, from Shofar Stellenbosch when it was just planted in the early nineties. And, and we thought, well, you know, we knew Hans and we knew it was this rebel, bad boy, smoker, long hair, you know, saxophone player, dude. And we thought, you know, any gospel, any church that could lead this guy to be saved must be, there must be some power there, you know, there must be something there, you know. So we started listening to these tapes and, um, you know, like I said, um, the, the Dutch Reformed Church where I was, the services were 55 minutes on the dot. Not a minute longer. But it felt like five hours to me as a little kid. <laughs> it genuinely did. It felt so long. And now we were sent these cassette tapes that were an hour, hour and a half, two hours long. The sermon was like an hour to two hours long. And, and we'd sit and listen to this, and it felt like ten minutes. We'd never heard anything like this before. And... Slowly but surely, you know, some of the guys started getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, now listen, we, we were, like I said, Dutch Reformed Boykies. We had no one teaching us. We had no adults who were telling us this is what you're supposed to experience or so. Um, guys just started speaking in tongues. We'd heard that Hunt, uh, Barent went with Hans to, to, to Stellenbosch and actually got, got baptized in water and, and started experiencing the Holy Spirit. And then, our friend group, it was like a virus that went through our group of friends. You know, we started to experience the, uh, the Holy Spirit. And um, it was on the one hand exciting, but on the other hand, it brought a lot of division. There were like, like fights, you know, this religion thing, you know, that resists the experience of the Holy Spirit. You know, started 
standing up inside of some of us and we're like, no, we're Dutch reform people. We don't do this kind of thing. This is un, unseemly. This is unheard of. You know, and so we went to our Dominies and we said, listen, this tongues and prophecy and those kind of stuff, you know, is it in the Bible? What is it? And they said, no, 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 no. Hang on. This stuff is dangerous. You've got to be very careful of this. Stay well clear of it. You know, you don't want to get involved in that kind of mess. It's, 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 uh, it's stuff that sects and stuff do, you know. Um, but the problem was, so, so we didn't get like a satisfactory answer from, from our doing. So we went to the Bible and, and we found in the book of Acts, the guys were laying hands on each other, preaching the gospel, laying hands on each other and so on. And then experiencing the Holy Spirit and all kinds of weird and wonderful manifestations, tongues and prophecy and, you name it, you know, that kind of weird and wonderful stuff. So we thought, okay, well, let's try it. So we started laying hands on each other and praying for each other. And like I said, no one taught us this. We just said, well, we see it happening in the Bible. Let's try it. Let's experiment. And we started slowly but surely getting filled with the Holy Spirit um, and experiencing the manifestations of the Spirit. Um, and I remember the day I um, first spoke in tongues. Um we were sitting at a friend's house and I was sitting on a couch and most of my, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm a introvert and, and sort of a cautious guy by nature. So I was one of the last, you know, to start experiencing these things. And, and some, most of my friends had already, you know, could already speak in tongues. And I was like sitting there and saying, okay, you know, God, um, let me, let me give it a try as well, you know. So I said to my friends, don't, don't you want to pray for me as well? So they laid hands on me and started praying and shara-bara-bara-bara, you know, praying in tongues and praying that I would receive the Holy Spirit. And I was just sitting there and I remember saying, Holy Spirit, yeah, I, I just want to open myself up and receive you, receive more of you. And I remember hearing the Holy Spirit say to me, just open up your mouth and start speaking. And, and it was... It wasn't an unfamiliar voice. I knew it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I opened up my mouth and then I got scared and I closed it again. And then I felt terrible. I felt so terrible. I'm like, oh, no, I'm grieving and I'm quenching the Holy Spirit. This is terrible. I felt, I just said, okay, sorry, Lord. Just tell me again and this time I'll do it. (laughs) So the Holy Spirit said, just open up your mouth and start speaking. And I, I was, you know, later on I thought of that scripture. In Acts 2 verse 4 where it says, and, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, so when, when you want to speak in tongues, it's not like the Holy Spirit takes your tongue and starts wiggling it and makes you speak in tongues. You, they began to speak in tongues. They did the speaking as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Holy Spirit will give you the utterance. So that's why the Holy Spirit said to me, just open your mouth and start speaking. And that's what I did. I opened my mouth and started speaking and, and just these tongues and stuff came out. And I remember one friend, Marcel, was so happy. He started dancing around the couch, you know, and, and shouting and, and, and cheering. And, and it was, it was such a powerful experience. And I always took that as the, the day I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But then later on, I read this scripture and, and, and the Holy Spirit also said to me, if you didn't have me on that day, how did you hear me say, open up your mouth and start speaking? I always interpreted that as when I received the Holy Spirit. And, and that's when I realized that, okay, I was a Dutch Reformed guy and I, and I didn't even know about the experience of the Holy Spirit. Then I became a classical Pentecostal and I knew about the experience of the Holy Spirit, but I thought it was like just an added extra to Christianity, a necessary and a very powerful, important added extra. But then I realized that Paul was saying, no, it's not an added extra. The experience of the Holy Spirit that is so experiential that 
Paul knew about it and could remind them about it because they would know about it when it happened to them. It was the experience of the, the reception of the Holy Spirit was so experiential that Paul could say, remember that day. Remember when I preached the gospel to you so vividly that you almost with your own eyes saw Christ crucified. Remember what happened there. You received the Holy Spirit, not by works of law, not by being circumcised or being obedient to the law, but by hearing the gospel with faith. Here's, here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm so aware that we as modern Christians have watered down Christianity because what we say is if you believe the right things, you can assume you have the Holy Spirit. What Paul says is if you've experienced receiving the Holy Spirit, you can assume you've believed the right things. Can, can you see that? Can you see how different Pauline Christianity was to much of modern Christianity? Much of modern Christianity is just, and, and, and that is true for, for Dutch reform. And, you know, that's also why I'm not a classical Pentecostal now. I'm a progressive Pentecostal. I believe that the Holy Spirit is absolutely, absolutely fundamental. The experience of the Holy Spirit is fundamental to Christianity. And, and that's why I think there are so many people in places like South Africa who say all the right things. But they've never actually experienced what Paul is talking about here. Receiving the Holy Spirit experientially by faith in the gospel. You see, um, the Holy Spirit and the experience of the Holy Spirit is more important than you realize. And it's not just at the beginning, because he says... Having begun in the spirit, you now want to be completed in the flesh. Because, I mean, here's the thing that's, that's a bit scary. You either have, you're either bewitched. In, 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 in other words, you have some other demon spirit giving you evil eyes so that you cannot see the truth. Or the whole, you, receive, you have the Holy Spirit opening up your eyes to see Jesus publicly crucified. You're going to have a spiritual experience. It's either a bewitchment that blinds you or it's a salvation experience that saves you. You're going to experience. It's either the Holy Spirit or a demon spirit. It, it's, you don't have a choice whether you're going to have a spiritual experience or not. You are having a spiritual experience. Even when you're resisting the gospel, that's a spiritual experience. It's just a spirit, an unclean spirit that you're experiencing. Right? Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Um, and he goes on and he says, the alternative to experiencing the Holy Spirit Experiencing the demon spirit and being in the flesh. And Andre was saying yesterday, reminding me of a saying, um, when the Christian life, who is it that said that, who said that? I can't even remember. I always, I sometimes quote it, but I, I can never remember. But he says, um, the Christian life is, is not difficult. It's impossible in your own strength. But there are so many Christians who are trying to live the Christian life, but in the flesh because they don't have the spirit. They say all the right things. They make all the right noises. They say they believe the gospel, but they don't truly believe it. And they've never experienced receiving the Holy Spirit. And but it's not just that. He says, not only have you begun in the Spirit. Notice, and I want to end off with this. In verse 5, he says, he first experienced, he talks in the past tense in verse 3 and says, did you, past tense, receive the Spirit by works of law, by Hearing with faith, hearing the gospel of faith. Now in verse 5, he shifts to the present tense. And he says, does present tense, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of law, by hearing with faith. Hearing with faith in what? 
hearing the gospel with faith. In other words, not only is Christianity a gospel experience when you get saved and a spirit experience in terms of experientially receiving those, but it's a continual communal experience. It's not like Christianity starts off as an experience of the, of the spirit and then moves on to something else. It starts off as an experience of the gospel and the spirit in community. And then it continues all the way through continuously being an experience of the gospel and the spirit within community. That is what Christianity is. And God, who at the beginning gives us his spirit through our faith in the gospel, continues to supply his spirit and do miracles amongst us. The continual communal experience of the Holy Spirit and of the supernatural is normal Christianity for Paul. And that's why Gordon Fee says, if Paul were to walk into many modern churches, he would not even recognize them as Christian. Because all of that experience of the Holy Spirit is missing. It's not there. Now, so many churches who say that the experience of the Holy Spirit has basically ceased, who are very anti-experiential, Paul was not. For Paul, experience of the Holy Spirit was so fundamental that he could appeal to it when he wanted to test whether people were really Christians. And he could assume that multiple churches, the churches of Galatia, all had the same experience. Initial experience and continued experience of the Holy Spirit because that is what Christianity is. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.